0: Can I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 15. As you're opening your Bibles, I want want you to imagine that you're on a tall building in an ancient city. And the sun is beginning to set, the city is getting quiet, and yet you see someone Wandering to the outskirts of the city, an area of the city that people have not walked for a long time, because it is there, well, where there was this massive grave, and they buried the bodies of many who died of a horrific disease many years ago. And as you watch this young man, you're like, "Is he doing this out of curiosity? Is it out of malice? What does he intend to do there? Why would he go to such? a dangerous place. Such a scenario caused the 4th century Christian leader, John Chrysostom, to pen these words. He writes, Just as if we opened the tombs, we would fill the cities with pestilence. So if we had no qualms about opening vile mouths, we would fill our associates with a worse disease. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Randy was here and he preached powerfully on, the, on the, the power of the tongue. Now we're going to zoom in specifically on a particular issue related to the tongue, and that is the tongue in, amid conflict. doesn't take a rocket scientist nor a cultural expert to look around and say, there's a lot of conflict in the world right now. There's conflict on Twitter, TikTok, Inside Truman Elementary School. A lot of conflict. What is the the follower of Jesus' role in a world filled with conflict? What role do we play? How should we serve? If you're not a Christ follower, uh, I'd like you to listen in and then I'd like you to hold all the people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ to what this word says to Christians. This is the gold standard given by God himself through Solomon in the Proverbs. This is how Christians are to respond to conflict. Proverbs chapter 15. Let me read the first four verses. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirits. So I have one main argument today. I hope to persuade, to convince, and this is my argument. Gentleness ends conflict. Gentleness ends conflict. And I want to look at this argument making three observations. And the first observation is simply this. Gentleness works practically. Gentleness works practically. Look again at the text, verse 1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath so the word gentle right the word gentle is referring to something that is soft uh, something that is tender something that is kind and this sort of response to wrath brings a ability to turn it away or to take on the blow picture a freight train right Rushing down toward a you know a city or a or a home, you have to put something in the way to either take the blow to protect the city or to turn it away. Gentleness turns away that wrath it it softens it it, it, it deadens it. it it accepts the blow and if you gentleness done gently, or gentleness done appropriately, it, it, it ends the conflict. It stops it. It, it. it pacifies the harsh word. You know, think about, the, you know, you can think of like a, a dad who's stomping with anger to deal with a situation. How does, how do you pacify that anger? Or, or you have like a, a spurned teenager with thumbs already. What do you do? This gentleness or a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So it's happens if you have this freight train about to cause destruction and you come at it with a harsh word, it just increases the momentum, the impact. And it gets the the the, the impact, the crash has, has greater impact. Not just the two individuals or the two trains. A conflict that gets stirred up, it spills over. Right? A home full of conflict doesn't just hurt two parties. You know, the word conflict is usually simply defined as just, you know, uh, a fight between two parties. Gentleness ends conflict because it says, I am not going to continue in this dance of conflict. If you have, you remember it takes two to tango. If one person says, I'm not going to do the tango of conflict, conflict ends. You got one angry person, but there isn't actually a conflict because one person, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to. I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to throw a harsh word in this situation. Harsh words are toxic. Gentle words are a tonic. Gentleness works practically. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he writes to a protege named Timothy, he gives these instructions. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's What Paul wants Timothy to be ready to face conflict. How many of you guys have been in a church longer than 3 or 4 years? Anybody been a part of a church 3 or 4 years? Have you ever seen conflict in a church? If you haven't, you haven't been paying attention. Have you ever had people within the church that you disagree on what you think are significant issues? This is the instruction the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy about controversial matters. I'm beginning in verse 23. Paul says to Timothy, don't have anything, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's a a categorical statement. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, gently instruct, and then you take one gigantic step backwards and let God do the work on someone's heart. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsher just stirs up the anger. A number of years ago, a Presbyterian minister uh, down in Nashville named Scott Sauls had just uh, closed out the service and in Presbyterian style had done a wonderful flourish of a benediction and then had come down to walk among the flock. And someone comes up to him who he gives the euphemism, Church guy. Church guy comes up to Scott and says this. Do you see that man over there? He has a lot of nerve entering the house of God dressed in filthy, ratty clothes like that. You can smell the nicotine a mile away. He is a distraction to my worship. Do you want me to go over there and tell him how people are supposed to behave in the house of God? Now, uh, Scott uh, writes about this in his book. By the way, the title of his book is called A Gentle Answer. It's a great book if you want to pursue this idea of a gentle answer further. But Pastor Scott has lots of thoughts running through his mind right now about church guy. I mean, first, pastoral heart is, oh my goodness, we want anyone to come in and Sit down and know that this is a place to pursue God, no matter how you smell or how you look. You know, as it turns out, this guest he was visiting that day had formerly been on meth and was now had moved to cigarettes. You know what that's called in the Bible? Sanctification. God was at work. But church guy. Scott had all sorts of thoughts. But this is what happened to Scott. Scott realized that he was turning into church guy number two he wanted to have all these words to say about church guy and realized, oh my goodness, I'm no better than he is. Whether you're the type of person that, you know, has a harsh word for church men and church women, or you have a harsh word for non-church men and non-church women, he, Scott saw his own heart get opened and realized, oh my word. And he had to give a gentle answer, even to church guy. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Go back to the, where we were in um, uh, Proverbs chapter fifteen. That verse four. Look at that verse four, where it says Proverbs fifteen four. It says the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And our spirits are so tender. Um, the great writer of education named Parker Palmer. He describes the human soul as like a like a wild animal, and if you want to get to someone's soul, you don't go trudging through the forest. You got to go slow, you have to be careful. And we're not just wild animals; we're hurt, wounded, wild animals. And so God says, "Hey, when you approach people, would you come with a soothing tongue, with a gentle word? Why? Because it works." It's pragmatic. Now, I'm guessing some of you are pushing back right now. And you're saying, yeah, 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 I know that President Trump was a little bombastic, but it was effective. I know that Rush Limbaugh could be a little bit of a jerk, but he got people to listen. I know there's some parents like me that think, how will I get my kids to listen if I don't raise my voice? But is it true? Is it really effective? Let me give two applications here, and then I'll move to a little bit more of a theological deep dive. First off, uh, one of my kind of mentors from afar who I read is a man named Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard summarizes this first observation about the effectiveness of gentleness with these words. He says, There is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. There is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. Do we parent better with anger? Do we persuade people to our political opinions better with anger? Do we make friends out of enemies better with anger? Other, I also want to throw out a, a thought experience, experiment uh, I read this thought experiment by a woman named Marilyn Robinson. Some of you know Marilyn Robinson. She ran the Pulitzer a number of years ago which she wrote a book called Gilead, which if you haven't read, I recommend it. She lives down in Iowa City, used to teach at the Writer's Workshop. This is the thought experiment she asked people to have. And she was writing to Christians. She's a professing Christian. She said, Christians, if we held media personalities to Christian character, and that we would never listen to them or watch them if they did not demonstrate godly character. What would happen to some of these media personalities? Some of these broadcasting channels? What would happen? Well, those who want to push back on Gentleness. Can I just say something that I think is littered all throughout the Bible? This is observation number 2. Gentleness is God's preferred way for himself. Gentleness is God's preferred way for himself. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve re- Bell against a holy God. They create hostility between God and humanity. What does God do? He tries to find them. And he also makes a promise. I'm going to get you back. We're going to crush Satan's head. Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. What does God do? He pursues Cain. Exodus chapter 34. Moses says, I want to know you, God. Who are you? What kind of God are you? And he says, I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love. Isaiah chapter 28, when God speaks of judgment through the prophet Isaiah God says judgment is God's strange work, his peculiar work. It's necessary because of the holiness of God. But the character of God, his preferred way, is, culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's gentle answer. Jesus is God's gentle answer. If you're turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, this did not make it into the PowerPoint presentation, is fresh stuff. Always a little dangerous. Ephesians chapter two verse three. Paul speaking about the human condition and then the human reversal through Jesus. Ephesians two three says all of us, now followers of Jesus, used to live among them, those who had not yet trusted Jesus at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires, thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. You jump down to verse 7, though. It says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's kind and gentle answer to the wrath that we deserve. And, you know, it's tempting to be like, that just seems so weak. Like, isn't God stronger than that? (laughs) That's the questions that people had that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Is it weak for God to die for his people? Is it foolish for God to die for his people? The Apostle Paul says in abounding no, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 1, it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The cross of Calvary looks weak and it looks stupid. Too gentle. Not harsh enough. This is God's wisdom on display. This is his strength. This is the Son of God dying for his people. Nothing more beautiful than this. Nothing more strong than this. God loves to turn everything upside down. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Of First Corinthians says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus is God's gentle answer, and this is God's power to save." Wow. Proverbs twenty-five, verse fifteen. Just a reminder of the strength of gentleness. Proverbs 25, verse 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Gentleness is strong. Gentleness, gentleness breaks the femur bone. Rumor has that the femur bone is a really strong bone. Gentleness breaks bones. More importantly, gentleness breaks hard hearts. Rebellious hearts. How does God address the hostility that exists between a holy God and sinful people? The gentle answer, Jesus, dying in our place. Now again, someone else is going to swoop in and say, like, Jesus wasn't always gentle. You remember that part where he, Matthew chapter 23? Matthew 23 is the favorite passage about Jesus if you're a media personality. Why? Because he calls them a brood of snakes. He says, you people are so bad, your hearts are like rotting graves. By the way, not a compliment. And so, so we love that, right? Look, look, see, Jesus is harsh sometimes. Jesus is hard sometimes. A couple of thoughts on this. One, admittedly, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it's proverbial wisdom. Generally, the gentle words should match our lips. There are times where you have to say a hard thing. But if you're going to quote Matthew 23, would you, do, uh, would you do Matthew the credit and the Holy Spirit the credit who wrote Matthew to read all of chapter 23? Because at the end of chapter 23, Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping. over. Let's read this. Matthew 23, last couple of verses. Yes, he calls them a brood of snakes, brood of vipers. In verse 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers for chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. If God calls you to say a hard word to someone or to speak a hard word in a tough situation, can you make sure your heart has prayed and wept over those to whom you feel called to say a hard word? If it has, And you feel led, then go. If not, Bambi's mom, or no, Thumper's mom is wise. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. God calls you to say a hard word, sure. But have you wept over those you have to say it over? Have you prayed? Or are you like me when I've thrown in my harsh word? I just want to one-up that guy. I just want to look smarter. I'm going to put them in their place. Did Jesus put people in their place? I don't know. He put himself in the place of death, condemnation, and shame. God acts gently. When Judas came to betray Jesus, what the first thing out of Jesus' lips was to Judas, do you remember what Jesus said to Judas? Friend, Do what you have to do. Friend, do what you have to do. When they beat him, he did not reply. When they made charges against him, he was silent. Jesus is God's gentle answer. Some of you have yet to yield your heart to gentle Jesus. Some of you are still in a hostile relationship with God. The, the, his wrath is over you for what you've done and the way you've dishonored his name and the life that you've lived. But Jesus is God's gentle answer, saying there is hope for you. Jesus wants to turn God's wrath from you so that you can have life and intimacy again with God to restore your heart. If you've not received god's gentle answer it, it for many people it just starts with prayer lord i need jesus i need his answer to my anger i need his forgiveness for my wrongdoing and you need to do that maybe you need to do that today i, I talked to you for the service we'll have a prayer station in the back for men in the front for women we can we can pray there one of the things that i love is if you read later in the book of acts some of the priests of jerusalem end up becoming followers of jesus My suspicion is some of those were the priests that heard Jesus both call them a brood of vipers and weep and pray over them. They heard a hard word, they saw a broken heart, and then they saw the gentle answer of the cross, and they ended up believing. And there's been harder heart people all throughout history of people who have converted to Jesus. I was thinking of just four in the last hundred years of people who were far from God, but they responded to God's gentle answer. One is the famous musician named Keith Green. I don't know if you know about Keith Green. He was this crazy pagan drug uh, guy who did drugs and was trying all manner of mysticism until God humbled him and became a follower of Jesus and gave his his music over to the Lord. I was thinking about C.S. Lewis, right, this Oxford Don who loved to be an atheist and prove everybody wrong, and God humbled him. thinking of lee strobel this gentleman who worked for the chicago tribune and did everything he can in research to try to prove that christianity was fake news and in the end he yielded his heart to jesus and then i was thinking of rosaria butterfield some of you know her story she was a woman studies professor practicing lesbian far from god and yet when she encountered gentle presbyterian pastor and his wife and said she i don't know if you guys know the story you should read her story like, she got all this hate mail because she wrote against promise keepers. Hate mail from every Christian all around. Hate mail, hate mail, hate mail. How could you write these things? She got this one note from a Presbyterian pastor named Ken. And Ken said, I'd like to know more why you were so angry. Would you come over and have a meal at my house with my wife? And it took several years, but slowly over time, Rosaria listened to the gentle lips of this Presbyterian couple and yielded her heart to Jesus. Gentleness works, observation one. Observation number two. God is gentle. It's his character. And again, some of you are saying, well, this isn't me, Matt. I'm just not a gentle person. Here's observation number three. God makes gentle souls. God makes gentle souls. Remembered, the original context of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. This was collective wisdom for God's covenant people Israel. In particular, it's Solomon teaching his sons. Sons of Israel, I want you to be gentle. Sons who worship the God of Israel, be gentle. The God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, let us live like him. Let's be Gentle as he has been gentle. When the Apostle Paul has a similar discussion uh, about the transformi- transforming work of the gospel, he puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 read this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, right? so as Israel was God's chosen people, now even more so, those in Christ are God's chosen people. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and Dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. God forgives to make us forgiver. God ministers to make us minister. God is gentle so that he sends us out gentle. God makes gentle souls. Most of us are not born with gentle souls. We need God to come in and do a surgery on our hearts, on our souls to make us gentle. I appreciate a pastor long ago, a Puritan named Richard Sibbs. This is what he says about the great physician. He is a physician good at all diseases, especially at binding up a broken heart. Just a quick reminder. Probably the most angry people you know or the most frustrating or harsh-speaking people that you know it probably comes from a broken heart. Remember, our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the rulers and principalities of darkness. Those rulers and principalities of darkness have come in and ripped up people's lives and hearts and families. And a lot of times that we, we, I'll own this, I, I put on harsh words to protect myself. I've been hurt enough, you won't hurt me. But when this gentle physician this gentle surgeon comes in and says i want to i want to work on you there that broken heart that that place where you've been hurt the most i'm going to come there i'm going to speak right holy and dearly loved i want to love you i want to restore you i want to work on you and the surgeon of souls comes in and then sends out surgeons of souls as i have ministered to you as i have come and been delicate and intentional and working in your heart would you kindly carefully go minister to others. Jesus describes something very similar in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that part where he says, do not judge lest you be judged? And he says, how can you take the log out of your neighbor's eye when you have a speck in your own eye? Excuse me, how can you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, okay, if people see that you have a gigantic stick in your eye, uh, one, they don't want to get too close to you because if they have a speck in their eye, now you're going to take them out with a two by four. But here's the other thing: how many? Who would you let in your life help you if you had a speck in your eye? Think about that. Who would you let help you get a speck out of your eye? Someone who's gentle. Someone who's tender. Someone who knows what it feels like to have something in their eye. And so you take your log out. You know what it means to be hurt. And that person's like, okay, I might let you a little closer. You can come close enough to help me. They want to see that you've done the work. And then they might let you in. Now, not all of us are going to become Snow White or Mr. Rogers. God makes gentle souls. Not all of us are going to turn into Mr. Rogers and Snow White. But we should be, and we will be, if we let God work, be softer. Gentler. Think about it. Mary Poppins, she was gentle in her own way. I was thinking this week about the uh, fantasy story of Beauty and the Beast. Bells love softened beast. He was he was not wearing sweaters and tying shoes at the end of the movie. <laughs> but he was softer. He was gentler. How do we let this happen? What what, what do we need to do? I'm going to give one more quote from Richard Sibbs. By the way, this is from his book A Bruised Reed, referring to how the great Savior does not break bruised reeds. But Richard Sibbs invites us to do this. The best men and women are severe to themselves and tender over others. The best men and women are severe to themselves and tender over others. What this is inviting us to do this week is to get time away or maybe get time with someone who knows you well and look through your life very thoughtfully, introspectively, Look for the lingering angers, the resentments, the hurts, the shames, the fears. Look at where you have responded harshly, cruelly, inappropriately. I was in the middle of preparing this sermon, and I actually said to a family member one time while they were crying, facts don't care about your feelings. I had to repent. That wasn't the right thing to say, think, or do. But if you're severe in yourself, and then you take that to the Lord Jesus and just be honest, like, I need you to forgive that. I need you to minister to that. And he patches you up, and he sends you out. Boy, you're going to be tender toward others. You're going to be so much more patient I mean, think about when Jesus says, love your labor as you love yourself. He's playing on the fact, like, we are so patient with ourselves. Have you ever noticed that, how patient you are with yourself? Most of us have been working through the same sins for the last 20 to 30 years. You guys agree with this? Are there certain things, certain behaviors that you've been working on for 20 to 30 years? Or if you're younger, maybe just a couple of years. How patient we are to allow God to change us? And then if we allow just a little pausing of a reflection, then why don't we give other people 20 to 30 years in their area of growth rather than 20 to 30 minutes or 20 to 30 days? If we're severe with ourselves, we will be tender with others. I would love for this church to be known as a gentle church. I would love for you to be known as the gentle person in your office. The soft spoken person on your block. I'd love for you to be the one that everyone knows, oh, don't bring that up with so and so. He won't engage. He knows that's a foolish, stupid argument. He doesn't get caught up in temporal, te- temporal things or silly myths. I would love for us to be known as this force to be reckoned with because we won't Increase the conflict. Gentleness ends conflict. One last thing I want you to picture. Picture the scene. It's May 10th, 1994. And on the stage is the newly elected president of South Africa. His name is Nelson Mandela. He's been released from prison for four years. Prior to that, 28 years on Robben Island. 28 years because of racism, because of power struggles. Four years after being released, he's now been elected. And this is the inauguration for the new president of South Africa. What answer will he now have for many decades of oppression? What answer will he have for his own 28 years of harshness? I want you to look a little bit closer because he's not the only person on the stage. He has invited two of his white prison guards to sit on stage with him. This is South Africa. These are my citizens. Later, he stands up to give his speech, and what does he say? He says this. The time for the healing of the wounds has come. The moment to bridge the chasms, that divide, has come. Gentleness turns away wrath. Gentleness ends conflict. Father, I pray that you would do what you need to do in my heart, in my brothers' and sisters' hearts. Uh, if there's people here who don't yet know Jesus, who are still in a hostile relationship with God, that they would be melted By the gentleness of God, the kindness of God. Your word says it's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's the kindness of God, his mercy, his grace that leads us to change. There's nothing stronger, more powerful in the universe than the son of God dying on the cross. For there is the power to save. Lord, make us a gentle people. Make us gentle individuals. Make us gentle dads and gentle moms. Make us gentle husbands and gentle wives. Make us gentle in our conversations at work. Make us gentle among our friends. Lord, where there is hostility, anger right now, resentment, bitterness, Lord, would we be kind and forgiving, bearing one another's grievances, forgiving everything because Christ has forgiven us. Thank you for your word. May your Holy Spirit make a reality in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.